Hello and welcome to Football Gravy. I'm Adam. I'm Joe. And I'm Marlon. Football gravy for this week is Adama Traore's muscle grease. Um, this is the grease known to be baby oil that the Wolves winger uses to glide past defenders seamlessly. Um, this is a great thinner for sauces. Um, you can use it like you would chicken or beef stock, but just make sure as always that it's well seasoned. Okay. So... A lot of controversial de- decisions in the Premier League this past weekend, gents. The referees yeah, under so. fire. So let's kick it off. Should we um, talk about play? the West Ham Man United? No. I think Adam tried to play the yeah. jingle. You can Didn't just quite. Out. Yeah. Let sure. me try it again. Far this, far that. Give them all the help they need. Far this, far that. We are all the help they need. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that is an excellent intro. We're about going to give the referees the help they need, right? Absolutely. So professional. We're, 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 we're here to make Charlie Austin happy. That's the whole purpose, uh, central theme of this. It's a joke. <laughs> it's, it's a joke. It's quite, it's quite a joke. I initially thought he said, it's Joe. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> That is me. I'm here. He's glad to see me, and he's glad to see that we're going to be tackling these decisions. Um, What decisions do you want to start off with? Well, should we start with the West Ham Man United game, considering there were quite a few decisions in that? Go for it. So you had the two Ronaldo penalty claims with um, Zuma and then Soufal. What did you guys think of both of those? Um, so we're going to talk about the Sufal one first. Um, Sufal uh, one think... happened earlier in the game and then the Zuma one's obviously at the end, which leads into the short pen. So I would do Zuma and Shaw together because it's one play. Mm-hmm. Okay, so with the Sufal decision this is where Ronaldo's running into the box Sufal dangles out a leg and as he's withdrawing it Ronaldo sees the opportunity and runs straight into it um it's a very tough decision because I think it's a question of Sufal stuck his leg out Ronaldo's seen that and run into it and he's bringing his leg back in as Ronaldo puts it out so it's essentially a question of is it too late for Soufal, where he's committed to making the decision already. Ronaldo's kicked the ball away. I, mean, I think it's a tough one because when we see it with the Zuma one that comes later, this is a, a penalty that Ronaldo is deliberately playing for and is consciously working out. He's not going on amazing, amazing run through players and is then, you know, uh, sort of suddenly taken down. This is Ronaldo sort of walking into the box, wanting to get taken down, consciously looking for it and making, you know, lots of decisions in order to facilitate a penalty. Um, I think for me with this one, 
I think he has enough time to get out of the way and I don't think he needs to to go down. For me, it's not a penalty and I disagree with uh, some of the analysis post-game. We saw Dermot Gallagher talking about it. So I disagree with him on that one. What do you think, Marlon? Um, I don't think it's a penalty either when I'm watching it in the slow motion. When I saw it first, I thought it was a penalty in yeah. normal speed. But I think there's an angle from behind Ronaldo, the camera angle, where you see it in slow motion. You see Soufal stick his leg out. And like you say, he runs into the leg. I'm not... You said um, that he could have time to get out the way. I'm not I'm not so sure he does, but he definitely sure. like runs into him knowing uh, what's going to happen. He, he definitely plays for it. And I think mm-hmm. the key thing as well is that the... Um, so as he does the little juke with the ball, I think, you know, the ball goes one direction and he runs almost the other. Mm. What Almost like he just runs straight into Soufal and he sees yeah. the leg coming. And uh, yeah, I don't think that's a penalty when you see it in the slow motion. Well, that's a good point as well. I didn't mention that the ball does just go jinx off to one way whilst he jinx off to the other. And that's just a sort of showing the conscious decisions that he's making. He has the time to make in that play in order to, to try and get the penalty. Um, but it is a really, really tough one. Um, so do you want to talk about the Zuma and then going into the Shaw one next? Or do you, do you have an opinion on that, Adam, that differs? Uh, I haven't really seen it that much. Oh, OK. Um, so do you I want to lead us into say, Zuma and Shaw? The Zuma one um, is an interesting one because it sounds fairly similar to this because this is where Ronaldo jukes into the box. Um, and... Zuma goes for a slide challenge, misses the ball. To an extent, this is Ronaldo, but Ronaldo just kind of dives but runs into him at the same time. And it's one, yeah, Ronaldo has dived on that penalty. But I do think it is a penalty because I think Zuma's challenge is enough that whether Ronaldo dives or not, Zuma is going to take the man and none of the ball. So it's one of those... We feel bad seeing that being given because Ronaldo doesn't deserve a penalty because he's dived. But Zuma's part in the play warrants a penalty for me just because it's such a reckless challenge and he gets none of the ball, regardless of what Ronaldo does. Do you think he's... So you think he's, like, outright dived and he's not, in a way, anticipating the contact? Is a kinder way to phrase that. Is that not the same thing? Well, I think... I think there's different connotations with the phrases. So dive is more like for me anyway, I think you 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 associate it with, you know, cheating a bit more. And if you say, oh, he anticipates the contact, it's more sort of lenient. So he sees the contact coming in and like, he I don't know, he doesn't want to. In, well, I don't know. Like, he yeah, anticipation is more of like a protection manoeuvre, potentially. If yeah, protecting himself. Ruthless, from the injury. ruthless challenge coming in from a. Very, you know, big zoomer. Um, I think that's a very nice way of putting a dive, personally. I think you can anticipate contact, but football's a contact sport. And that challenge wouldn't have done anything to Ronaldo. Not that he knows that, but I, I, I don't see it as not a dive. But he is also trying to avoid the contact. Well, sometimes so, the it's just human instinct like he doesn't want to get hurt there he can see at the last sec well this is my uh, opinion on it anyway um is like if i think 
I don't know. I think I'd just phrase it differently as him anticipating the contact and going down and protecting himself as opposed to like an outright sort of dive, which I associate more with like cheating. I think you're setting a dangerous precedent by doing that. If you say, if you call it that, because there are players in the league like Jamie Vardy's, like Deli Alley's that will try and exploit that phrasing. Yeah, I definitely think there's there's blurred. It's it's blurred, but I don't know. I I don't want to just label. You know, I I have different labels for what I see, and I don't want to have one label that I just give. Depending, you know, I don't want to. If somebody goes down before, I don't want to always say that's a dive if I don't think it necessarily is. I think it's a bit similar to another incident that we'll come on to later with Walker and Armstrong. Like in terms of this, whether you should dive out of the way or avoid contact, for example. But I guess this kind of leads us on to, in, in the same play as Zuma, Ronaldo, came the Luke Shaw handball. What did you guys think of that? Joe? I think, yeah, sure. Um, I think it's a, let's see if I can get it up for myself. I remember it anyway. Um I think it's it's a difficult one um, in terms of the the infringement that Luke Shaw has made versus the punishment that is rendered. However, I think there's much more consensus on the, the way that the rules are at the moment. It's a penalty because his arm is in a position that makes his body bigger to the extent that he can block the ball from going in to the box, even though he's very close to where the ball is kicked at him. Uh, and in real time, the the move that he is making towards the ball is incredibly natural and, in, you know, essential for him to stick his arm out in order to balance because he's moving his leg across his, his body in order to um, in order to try and block the cross. Um, so I think in terms of what it should be, I don't think it should be a penalty because everything that I see about it screams that it's wrong because it's so close he's doing a, he's making a natural movement and that's a natural position for his arm however because the rules in uh uh you know impinge players who make their body bigger and thus uh gain an advantage for doing so i mean luke that luke shaw example is the classic example of that and that's why the penalty was given so and that's how the rules are. So I, I think that was a penalty, even though it's really harsh. See, I'm of a different mindset with the like, regardless of the rules, I think if your body it, it is a it is close, which makes it harsher. But I think if your arm is basically at a 90 degree angle from your body. Regardless of intent or natural position, it's just it's so it looks so unnatural. And it makes your body so much bigger. But for me, regardless of the rules, if your arm is that far away from your body at such an angle, I, I don't mind seeing that given. Sure. But if someone is say, OK, I can understand. I can understand that. But if someone is um, trying to block the ball, they put their arm out and, and they put their arm out as they put their leg out in order to steady themselves. And say you're four metres away or something, balls hit quite hard and it hits your arm. Like you say, it's in it's not in a regular position. In the sense, it's not by his side, and he gains advantage for doing that. 
but is the correct response to that then that you give the other team an 85% chance of scoring by giving them a penalty? You've stuck your arm out a bit too far. You deserve, the other team deserves to have an 85% chance of scoring as a result. Yeah, I think it depends on the distance. And for me, the sure one, whilst it's close, I don't think it's close enough. Visually, it makes sense for me for that to be a penalty. I think if he's another yard or two closer, then sure, that's too harsh. But I think there is visually enough of a gap there that I'm satisfied with that being a penalty. What do you think, Marlon? Um, I absolutely think it's a penalty. I mean, I'm watching it now when you slow it down. I'm, I, it's, I don't want to say, I don't want to look at them all sort of slowed down in a clinical way, but the the fact that his body shape is so unnatural, he's making himself bigger. Both of his arms are out. It's not just that one. It's the fact that, you know, if the ball doesn't hit his arm there, like he's he's... Um, he's blocked the cross purely with his arm and the flight of the ball has changed uh, with that. I think it's, even though he's close, that it's his body position and the way he's defending it. He's he's stretched both of his arms out. He's making himself bigger. And uh, if he doesn't do that, then that's that cross gets in and it's a goal-scoring chance. So, um, you know, I've seen worse ones than that given and I'm quite happy to see that as a penalty I guess for the next one if it's alright do you want to do Walker Walker's challenge on Armstrong because I, I think that to me somewhat links back to that idea of getting out of the way of contact because I think the contact that comes in you you see Carl Walker give the ball away he then makes a bad challenge which gives Southampton a an easy counter-attack. Adam Armstrong wrong-foots Ruben Diaz but loses control of the ball in the process and then he goes for a left-footed shot at the same time that Walker comes in to atone for his mistake. And the reason, I, I think that's a penalty, but what I like about that is the fact that Armstrong has gone for the ball and I think that is a big reason why that's a penalty. I think if Armstrong tried to avoid the contact that would be never be a penalty is part of it and part of my thinking with that being a penalty as well is the context of walker making two mistakes and coming in so hot and going in quite recklessly yeah i think the contact itself is quite it's a lot more 50 50 than the rest of what i've just said but i just think the context of it all Armstrong is going for a, sh- a shot and Walker denies a goal-scoring opportunity, even though Armstrong has lost control of the ball. Because he is... If, if Walker doesn't make that contact, Armstrong would get the shot away. And I think the context of Walker coming in so hot because he's made two mistakes, maybe that's completely wrong to add that context in. But for me, I just think it it plays to the contact he eventually makes. What, what do you think, Marlon? You agree um, that it's a penalty, correct? Well, I mean, yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I agree with everything Adam said. I think uh, when you have the context that Walker's made the mistakes and he's coming in hot, then you could, pop, you know, you can 
has the um, the connotations of it being a bit sort of reckless or is reckless the right the right word? I mean, what what's the there's another word, isn't there? There's reckless and there's um, rash, Alan. Uh, yeah, reckless. Um, it's devastating. Anyway, um, yeah, I think the fact that he's made the mistakes and the fact that Armstrong is in a goal-scoring chance and he's it looks like he's about to shoot, even though you know he's going down a little bit, um, and Walker doesn't get the ball and he comes across him at that sort of speed yeah I think it's a penalty and I think the key thing is here is that the on-field decision was it's a penalty and once it's gone over and he's gone uh John Moss has gone over to the monitor and he's reviewing it I think it's okay to rescind the red card but in terms of that the penalty decision being a clear and obvious error I don't think it is and on that basis I don't see why it's been overturned I can't agree with that decision. Okay, well, I guess that means that I get to take the... Uh, what does it mean, though? It's, I genuinely don't think it's a penalty. Um, so I can be the Peter Walton in the group and defend... I think you, you, you are an ostrich. That's really uncalled for, uh, <laughs> Nigel. Um, and I think you are an emu. Um because I'll do the Josh thanks <laughs> are you using a Sean Parage to respond to your own okay very good who are you Sponsor saying that. you to there's what? five people in the call there's me you Marlon Sean and Nigel <laughs> I don't Sean I don't... and Nigel well I didn't realise that Sean and Nigel were going to get involved just playing backgammon in the corner I didn't realise they were going to get involved they're just having a back and forth I'm not I'm not as Quick as Nigel and Sean are, I guess, which is why I shouldn't be making the jokes. What yourself, um, otherwise? Bang! I've been hit. <laughs> Sean's hit me. Didn't think he'd bring a gun. Anyway, back to reality. Um, I don't think it is a penalty. I think that Walker. As we've said, there's an important context that Walker's lost the ball and then he's chasing back. Um, but in terms of uh, the actual coming together itself, you know, Armstrong, as we said, he, he does the ass, but then he loses control of the ball and it's out of his reach and he's trying to come back and get it. And Walker puts his body across him without making a foul at that point. And then by the time any fouling contact is made, for me, Armstrong is already on his way down. He comes across, he's running into the box, he's trying to chase the ball. As he's going, winding up to shoot with his left foot, Carl Walker's right foot is already left foot, right foot. Carl Walker's leg. Right foot, left foot, devastating. We are in Oh, I do it every time. Jesus Christ, this room is fucking crowded now. You get them out. Jesus. Well, I, 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 I know you've got that. connections since, you know, becoming a sports journalist, but this is ridiculous. Uh, you say about... Sat in a dark room trying to record a podcast. And, uh, <laughs> Sean Dyche, Nigel Pearson in the corner, playing backgammon and Claudio Ranieri ringing his bells. Dilly ding, dilly dong. Go on. <laughs> 
you say about no contact happens yes. until Armstrong is already falling over. Is that not the same as Ronaldo? There's no contact. So there's no contact until he falls over. Yeah, and I don't think the Ronaldo one is a penalty either. Mm. So I'm being totally consistent. Okay. I'm being totally consistent. Um, I'm Peter Walton. You don't, oh, you don't think the Ronaldo one's a pen? No. Oh, okay. I don't think either of them are pen. Actually, I know the rules and I'm a referee and that means I support a really obscure non-league club, even though I actually support Manchester United. Um, yeah, for me, the Ronaldo one, we didn't actually, I don't think I actually gave my opinion on the Zuma one. So when Zuma's coming across, uh, blah, 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 let's think. So in the Sufal one, I said, that's not, uh, I said, that's not a penalty. He's seen the contact coming. I think with the Zuma one as well, I think it comes down to what we were kind of, we're going to get to with this one about anticipating contact, about whether a player should be staying on their feet. And if they don't stay on their feet, if they commit to going to ground in anticipation of contact, which has not yet occurred, whether you're entitled to gain an advantage by getting the foul for that. For me, there needs to be the contact. Otherwise, we're entering a slippery slope where if the contact, you know, where the contact is not made. Because with the Ronaldo one, the fouling contact is after Ronaldo's gone down. So by Ronaldo going down, he's saying to the referee, I want this penalty for something that has occurred before I've been touched by Zuma. Unless we then extrapolate and say, well, if Ronaldo hadn't have bounced out the way to, to anticipate the contact or to protect himself or to you know, try and win a penalty, we have to extrapolate and say, if he was on his feet, then Zuma's going to come into the side and clatter him. For me, on a like a technical conceptual point of what should and should not be a foul I think that you need that contact as a as a touchstone because whilst if you're splitting hairs perhaps you know that Zuma one you know he is making a reckless challenge and if Ronaldo stays on his feet then Ronaldo's probably going to go down there you're entering into a hypothetical and I think that makes it really difficult to make consistent logical um decisions and to create a rule that you can then is then applicable um so for me taking that ronaldo uh issue and taking sort of what my my conceptual breakdown i'm peter walton again my conceptual breakdown of it all i think armstrong there is with the armstrong one there is no fouling contact before armstrong starts going down even though armstrong perhaps starts going down on the you know, approach and on the really quite, um, you know, energetic, exuberant challenge that Walker is on the stretch to make because he's made a, he's trying to make amends for the mistake he's made. Um, but, you know, you can, you can come back on that. Um, but that, that's, that would be my, my thoughts on it. Nigel's shaking his head, but, you know, you can piss off. <laughs> Do you have anything to, to me, add on that the... one? To me, the uh, the Armstrong Walker one, it almost looks simultaneous when he's going down and the uh, Walker coming in on him. It it looks almost it, it's so difficult to what's the word? Is it discern? It's it's so it difficult to to uh, for me to say 
what's come first, the chick, you know, the egg or the chicken or whatever, you know, <laughs> um, that all the chicken or the egg. Yeah, all the chicken or the egg. All that, the egg. Or the um, I, with that, I, I I think I just stick with the on-field decision, and the fact that he's reviewed it, for me, that's uh, that's looking into it too much. I think because it's just too difficult to tell. Like you say that he's going down already, but it's almost simultaneous both of them. So I think I just stick with the on-field decision in that in that case. I can understand that. I can understand that point of view when you when you put the context of VAR behind it and you say, and we go back to you know has the referee made a, um, a substantial error um, in the initial decision? Probably not. I guess in that case. Um, and then you could say that it, it it should be a penalty on the basis that the VAR has been incorrectly applied. But for and but I could probably accept that. Whereas for me, I think irrelevant of, of VAR and in terms of the first initial decision, I think it's you know on the rules for me it's not a penalty. But I can definitely understand the the argument that VAR has been applied wrongly. For me as well, I think. If the ref, if John Moss hadn't given it as a pen and then it went to VAR, I think I'd feel differently. And I would feel like mm, it's quite harsh to give that as a pen on review, considering the on-field decision was it wasn't a penalty. Do you see what I mean? Like, I think in this case, I'm, I'm, I want to stick with the on-field decision and, you know, reviewing it. It's, it's so difficult to tell. It's so difficult to uh But then in a perfect world, let's in a perfect world where the VAR works, you know, excellently because referees who off referees though we're really competent, says Peter Walton. Let's say that they are competent, um, and that they review VAR to make the correct decision every time, as opposed to having to satisfy a standard which is, you know, is there a substantial error? Um what would you say? then or is that or, or is that not something that you'd want VAR to ever be you would put you you think that the the substantial error standard is is a good standard to have and as a result what occurred you can break down on the basis of what v- the VAR rules are now because they shouldn't be changed there shouldn't you know you don't think there should be a thing in the future where VAR is more seamless and we're just making correct decisions no no because I don't think you ever can I think it's it's there's so many variables there's so many different interpretations that if you start getting VAR involved with everything and almost clinically you know review Mm. every single thing and make everything perfect I don't Mm. think I don't think it's possible I don't think you can do that so that's why I think basically if you if you lower the bar too far and you let too much come in then it becomes a becomes a chaotic sort of mess yeah because then that's when you get to a point where you almost wouldn't it sounds silly, but it's almost like you wouldn't need a ref because you could just ref it with VAR because the whole game then would almost be refed by V. You know, not not yeah. particularly the small fouls or whatever, whatever, but the big decisions. It would always be VAR, and you'd be trying to create the perfect game, the perfect sort of standard. And I I just don't think it's possible. I think there's always too many interpretations or. or or too many variables for you to do that. And in this case, I think sticking with the on-field decision is uh, is absolutely what must be done. 
I think if you're looking for like the perfect game, you're getting towards a territory where you've then got to define, for example, Armstrong has lost the ball, but how many metres or how many yards away does the ball have to be for him to have been deemed to have lost the ball? Yeah. The same with sort of Luke Shaw's one, as we said earlier. If Luke Shaw is two yards closer... It's, it's two yards, man. Then it's probably a penalty. If... Could like, you get a nice little close... edit where um, he says, it's five yards, man. <laughs> or just for every single situation where we're doing one of these distance that line drawing exercises, just for everything. So like for for, <laughs> for the soccer one in, at Aston Villa last year. <laughs> it's 30 yards, he's... man. It's 45 <laughs> yards, man. <laughs> Yes, now he's going sort of that's getting a bit too Irish. Now he's sort of going potato farming, which is it's getting too Irish, but still. Yeah. Uh, that would be funny. You're just in danger of like mm. I don't know, there's just like a pure like there's just like there's a flow to football. And I think mm. if you start adding all the mathematics because I think if you're looking for the perfect game, then you have to start bringing in all those mathematics. Yeah. And you already see what VR's kind of doing. And yes, like 10 years ago, referees were making wrong decisions. But what we all hated about VAR when it came in is that it was taking too long and all this other stuff. And it's like, do we want to suffer for however long it's going to take for them to get VAR right or to get it to be perfect? But then, And then you're in a situation that obviously they've changed the rules this year to give attackers the benefit of the doubt for offsides. But then you've got to try and apply that kind of thinking to all these other grey areas in the game that I just don't think, as Marlon said, I just don't think it's possible to get a perfect game. Yeah. And I don't know whether I want a perfect game because, as we've seen with the change, do you want somebody being disallowed a good goal because their nose is offside? Mm. I like, think VAR should complement the sport. It shouldn't, def- it shouldn't define it. I think, you know, once you start doing that and the game becomes too clinical and the ref the, the game is refed by VAR then like you say it takes away the flow and it, I think you'd also see a lot of people not watching it so much I don't think you know people would fall out of love with football very quickly if that was the case a lovely summary of the, the state of VAR um yeah, I, I agree. Let's let's move on to. Do we uh, move on to the barnacle? Absolutely. The barnacle Harvey Barnes and his offsides. Indeed. What do we make of them, Joe? I think it's a really interesting um, couple of decisions because this these kinds of decisions is something in a way that I've been I've picked up on for years where referees never seem to apply the offside rule as it's written i.e they never seem to penalize um sort of interferences of play where a striker or an attacker uh, being in an offside position um affects the way that a defender or a goalkeeper is playing and so they give the offside we've seen line of sight decisions come in um and I think that there is a bit of that in this decision, but I think principally we're talking about Harvey Barnes sort of wrestling with the goalkeeper before each, as each corner is taken in an offside position because Brighton don't have any players on the on the goalposts. 
um, from corners. And then being in a position uh, where the ball is going close to him and so the, the goalkeeper might have an apprehension that he's going to touch the ball. Um, so I think I'd start that in, in normal situations where a striker is standing in an offside position and the ball is coming, say, towards the defender. So there's a long ball over the top. Striker's 10 yards offside. Striker is sprinting back to try and get the ball. Um, ball that's being lumped forward is going straight to the defender's chest. They chest it down. Um, and as they're chesting it down, bang, the striker is coming in from behind them and trying to take the ball off them. In this situation, the, the def- where the defender is aware of the striker coming in from behind him as the ball's coming over the top, that's interference with play. But what, because he's the, the defender is, is, is the way that the defender is acting um, is affected um, by the striker who's in the offside position. But in a game, we don't see these given. So it's interesting to see now where the corner comes in, Harvey Barnes is resting with the goalkeeper and then the ball flies past and the goalkeeper is now in a different position as a result of that offside sort of um, wrestling with Harvey Barnes. So I, I, I would like to think, I think it's, it's hard to look at the individual decisions. I think in principle, though, I would like to see much more of this kind of decision where it's acknowledged what the rules of the game say. And the rules of the game say where the attacker is interfering with play and interference includes where you know the defender uh is acting in a different way or is apprehending uh, because they're apprehending uh action by an attacker that's in an offside position then this is offside um but i'd like to hear what you guys um think on the decisions because obviously from another point of view they do seem quite absurd to to actually give an opinion on the two decisions um (laughs) I think the you first... think Joe's sitting on the fence, do you? He's not sitting on the fence. He just didn't say whether he thought either of them were offside or not. Um, the first one I think is offside. Off the back of what Joe said, I think it's a line of sight offside. It's tough to se- it's tough to tell from the replays we get, but I think Harvey Barnes is enough in the line of sight of Robert Sanchez that for me that is offside. The second one, I think, is the more interesting one. Because I think there's less wrestling with the keeper. According to everything Joe's just said, it's offside. But there's a lot less wrestling with the keeper. And at the point of contact, indeed, he heads the ball. Barnes isn't really in the way of Robert Sanchez, nor does he make an attempt at the ball albeit he is half a yard offside in some close vicinity to the keeper. So I just think this is a more interesting decision. According to what Joe just said, it's offside, but I don't mind it as much if that would have been onside, personally, because I don't think he's really interfering with play as much as he... De- like The first one for me is quite clear-cut. What do you reckon, Marlon? I uh, yeah, I agree with what you just said. I think the first one for me is much clearer than the second one. The first one, there's a lot more wrestling going on with 
Sanchez, the goalkeeper. The second one, I think it's one of those ones where a few years ago it would have been a goal and I don't think there would have been too much fuss about it. But I think nowadays you're looking at it, he is he is kind of in the way and there is, you know, there is a little bit of toing and throwing with Sanchez as the corner is initially coming in. Um I don't know. It, it's I think it goes here where it goes to a debate as well where you say is Sanchez going to save that if Barnes isn't there because if if you if you start saying things like that or you start debating that you know if the player isn't there will he save it or, or that's too hypothetical for me but that ball's I, going in with or without Harvey Barnes on the second one I agree I agree I think I can't really make my mind up with this one, the second one that is. I don't know. I I I feel, you know, I don't know. I, I think I'd be uh, distraught if it was given against me, but if it went in my favour, I'd, I'd I'd say it's the right decision. So I don't know. I to to make everything as as clear as mud. Uh, on my opinion, I think they're both offside um, on on the rules as they are. Um, and I think when you read, uh, I was just having a read of the laws of the game as well to double check, um, because I think you sensed a, a slight degree of um, apprehension. Just because on one on 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 one aspect of it, it's always sort of looking and thinking. Well, is this a, is this fair? Is this right? Do do people think this is a right decision. And I think it's clear from the Brighton players and the Leicester players that they nobody has any problem with that the, the awarding of that goal really. That's a you know uh Leicester have put in a good ball into the box, won the header, it's gone in, goalkeeper's not gonna save it. Um but on the rules, you know, um so for example we've got here a player moving from or standing in an offside position is in the way of an opponent and interferes with the movement of the opponent towards the ball this is an offside offense um so i think both of them are offside on on an application of the rules as they are um and but it's just tough whether they should be especially like we've said on the second one where barnes isn't really doing a lot with the goalkeeper and especially he's not doing a lot compared to what we normally see going on the box as it comes to sort of jostling and getting in opponent's way and everything uh, like that. Um, but I think they are both technically offside. Um, so more correct decisions of Peter Walton, I guess. Well done, Peter. All right, do you want to move on to some EFL Cup action? Yes. Sure thing. Do you have a Charlie Austin jingle for that? Not quite yet, I'm afraid. I'll lead in with, with this. Shave the legs, Deitch, they used to call me. That'll be our EFL Cup intro. Uh, Jay Rodriguez with four goals. 4 yeah, 1. Happy bunny. Fantastic. R- Rochdale did go 1 0 up in that game, though. Mm. Um, going crazy, but. At the end of the day, put it back. at the end of the day. So not quite as tough as the Burnley lads. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> but why are the Burnley lads tough? 
Well, the Burnley lads are tough because, as we've said in the past, I have gravel Sean Dyche. Well, gravel for <laughs> breakfast, obviously. And um, it's funny you have to every time you come into the Burnley training ground on on like a Monday, all you can hear is beep 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 because it's the gravel truck reversing and pouring everything into the canteen. So the players <laughs> have got their gravel for for the cereal and breakfast. Um, but they're tough as nails because they do the the bowling ball header training, as we've said. Um, so I wanted to get thoughts on uh, a unique sponsor for the Burnley's win over Rochdale was um, the Alzheimer's Society uh, because Alzheimer's apparently Bern- Sean Dyche didn't know that it exists. Um, so I just wanted to get really? your thoughts on that. Yeah, apparently. Well, otherwise, why would he do the bowling ball header training? Mm, well, has he multiple studies have said that, you know. I've got a quote from Daichi. It's not to do with the bowling balls, but it's just more like, I guess, a story about his voice, which I think, I mean, some of the stuff that he talks about in this quote. uh, Did he eat a bowling ball? Probably gives you some insight into his (laughs) mental state. Take it away, Sean. You used to eat worms at training, and that's yeah. why you've got such a gravelly voice. I mean, can yeah, you shed yeah, any yeah. light on this? Well, no, it's a fact. I did. I also, um, I also smoke uh, exhaust pipes, as I've been told in the past. That that's what makes my throat like this. I have gravel for breakfast. That was another thing. So them three combined, often other things I used to keep this voice sounding how it is. Yeah, so it's a combination. Well, well, it's well. like a yeah. It's like a contributory factors there's no one thing that makes Daichi's voice special but just a combination of very astute um health and nutrition um so on to the the cup itself um were there any surprise results yeah at the west ham revenge on wednesday it was very enjoyable to see it's funny because it's like a lot of these Man United players that were playing, they're very much playing for their places. You think of Martial and Van der Beek, Sancho. They, they are playing to get minutes for Man United in big games and they have mm. squandered that opportunity. Which, I mean, obviously given how much all those players are on and how much they cost, it's delightful to see. Yeah, looking at the team sheets going into it, I thought United would win. And then being at Old Trafford too. So, yeah, that was uh, it was a surprise result. And it was, uh, like you say, it was pretty good to see David Moyes getting one over on his old club. No Antonio in the team. And Noble almost scored as well, didn't he? At the end, I think, on the counter-attack. It's Mark's Park. Hmm. I also thought uh, Manchester City versus Wickham was a somewhat surprising result, more because Wickham went 1-0 up, which, I mean, that's just absurd how how that even comes about. I didn't see the team sheet, though, for City. City so played De Bruyne started. De Bruyne, Foden, Torres, Sterling, Mahrez. Their back four was was Youth Academy, and then everyone in front was, I mean, their first team, because their first team is like 18 players. 
Mm. But it was a very strong front line. So the fact that they even concede, regardless of their back line, they shouldn't be losing the ball. So I just think that was quite a surprise for me. Do you think it shows the City's um, frailties going forward, potentially? I mean, the, the Cups have been their competition for a while now. Um, they seem to win one every year. Are they still odds-on favourites after sort of you look at the EFL Cup, you look at the teams that are left? Um, we say that they're the favourites. I think there's three teams that are the favourites because it's the three teams that are in the title race. I think Chelsea, Liverpool, and City are the three best teams in the country. They're all still in the cup. They all want to fight for the title together. They all, all want to fight for the Champions League together. They're all going to be playing half-and-half half teams in the Cup. Mm. I think it's hard to pick one over the other at this point. I think oh, I think Liverpool are probably the weakest of the three because they probably try the least mm. out of the three in the Cups, generally. But well, well, it's interesting. And City and... Yeah. City, I was going to say, on the squad depth front as well, because City and Liverpool both have away ties in the next round. City at West Ham, which isn't going to be a walk in the park, necessarily. Um, Mark, especially at home, you know, Moyes is likely, and then the last 16 of a cup to get to a quarter final would be a, a good achievement for the club. And then, like you said, Liverpool don't have a lot of as much depth. Klopp likes playing the kids in the, in the competition because he has somewhat contempt for the competition as well, as we saw last season when he played not even reserves, he played sort of a youth team against Aston Villa and was humiliated um, or the team was humiliated in that game uh, so yeah there's some spicy games in the next round although what do we think about cup draw conspiracies Marlon Southampton have been drawn against Chelsea away and then um, all of the teams you have uh, City Liverpool Chelsea Arsenal and Spurs so that's five teams in a 16 round cup draw and they all managed to avoid each other well before I get onto that I've just noticed um, <laughs> Wickham Wanderers team against Man City had quite a few ex-Southampton contingent in there um, I think they had four or five ex-Southampton players or um, connections which is interesting but anyway yeah um, all the all the top sides avoiding each other in, in a team where what in a in a round where there's only what eight eight ties is it eight ties yeah eight ties and there's five of them because man united are out mm. and they've avoided each other hey <sighs> i don't know like <laughs> uh you know me joe you know i've got some some conspiracies those bulls what's going on with the bulls well, I mean, you go on the forums, Joe. You go on Reddit. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't go on there. But, um, I mean, are some balls hot? Are some balls cold? Or are some balls got like little bumps on them, so you can tell it's a top six team? Do you think that they do the draw and then they give the numbers their meanings afterwards? <laughs> no. <laughs> and they just add the overlay on the screen with the numbers on them. <laughs> <laughs> so you know that you know who's which number beforehand, don't you? So That's because they put it on the overlay. Oh yeah, oh, it's okay. pre-recorded. Well, let's say 
yeah, they see the overlay when they're doing it. It's it's live in the studio. The overlay is just is just hanging. They have to make sure they don't hit their heads on it. Well, um, they um they computer generate the number on the ball when they pull it out. <laughs> <laughs> there's someone you know they do it like Wembley Stadium it's empty there's just one person in the city across Wembley Stadium who has like a tiny little laser and he projects it on the ball as it's being drawn there's a little green the screen the on, on the ball and they just <laughs> overlay the number onto it the whole ball is just green <laughs> they're all green they're all completely green they don't actually get the famous <laughs> people in there they're computer generated that's what it'll be, though, in a few years' time. They'll have, like, EA... Because when EA are releasing their game, at the same time as there's all these draws going on, they'll get, like, a, a computer-animated version of the draw. <laughs> to be fair, it'll probably be more entertaining. The UEFA draws are terrible, though. The fucking... The amount of they spend on those in Switzerland to get some players in, and they can't even open the balls. Um, and So at least they, they do a bit better than that. Um, okay. Any other talking points on the cup, sort of cup going forward, relevance of the cup? So of the big uh, sort of teams, who mm. do you guys think sort of needs the win more than others necessarily, I guess? Tottenham. It's easy for me. I mean, Aside just... from the obvious. Because <laughs> they need um, every year. Well, not Man City, is it? I mean, how many times have they won it in the last few years? Can can I disagree? Well, you think it should be Man City? That they need it? I think Man City need the EFL Cup more than Arsenal, Chelsea. Arsenal and Chelsea in particular. Possibly more than Liverpool as well. Just because I think, as Joe said earlier, it's kind of become a tradition of them. And if they don't win the EFL Cup, especially if they lost the final to a Chelsea, to a Liverpool, if they lost that after winning it so often, is that going to have an impact on their squad? Is that going to have an impact on the dressing room? What's Pep going to be thinking then? Because they've become so accustomed to it. I see what you mean. They lost the Champions League final to a rival. They lost the FA Cup final. I think, I mean, especially if they got Chelsea and they lost to Chelsea again in a big game whilst fighting the league with Chelsea, I think that could have quite a big impact on them if they didn't win it. I see what you mean, but I think, you know, they're not going to win it every year. There's going to be a point where they're not going to win it. And, uh, you know, I just think they're looking at bigger, bigger things. They're looking at the Champions League. They're looking at the Premier League. I think they've, they've won the the EFL or the Carabao Cup so many times recently, I don't think it's top of their priority right now. I think, I see what you mean in terms of them, if they lose it to a Chelsea in the final or something. But I think, I don't know, I I just think they're targeting other trophies as the priority. And it wouldn't be such a big thing for them to miss out on it. I guess there was also the context of, like, it depends where they are come January yeah if they're in third five points off top again I I just think it becomes so much more important for them yeah because they've become so accustomed to it because it's their thing so if they win the EFL Cup they're like okay guys this is a normal season for us 
we can go on and we can win the league because that's what we do. What do you think, Joe? Um, I think I'm looking at the teams and I think I don't agree to the extent that Man City need to win it. I think if they get Chelsea in a semi-final or final and they, they were to lose that, I think, and, you know, in all likelihood, there's going to be, if seems like there's going to be a few teams battling it out for the title and those are going to include Chelsea and City. I think then you get a big narrative, the the, the, the sort of, um, the plot thickens in terms of that narrative and I think people will add more weight to it if Chelsea managed to beat City again. Um, so I think that would be important. So out of all the teams, when I look at them, like you, you, you perhaps didn't mention them in the same light, but I think Arsenal are the ones that probably need, not necessarily the win the most, but need a good cup run the most. Um, I mean, they're, 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 they've won a couple games now. They've got the big uh, North London derby at the weekend. But I think, I think that fan base in terms of to, to keep the satisfaction with Arteta, given how sort of big you think the summer's going to be for him um, and to have that momentum going forward. Uh, what do you think on that? Yeah, I'm, I don't think... I, I couldn't care less about this cup unless we got to the final. Um, and, I mean, Arteta's going to want to win it because he wants to win every game, but I don't think there's any pressure on him to win it. <clears throat> Obviously, we've already seen him win a cup at Arsenal in an impressive fashion. Um, so there's not that kind of burden looming over him. Um, well, he, he's only been a year since he won the trophy, any, like in general. So it's not like there's the, the time aspect of things as there was under Wenger, for example. I think this year for Arteta is purely about what he can get out of the team in the league. I know on the, our day, Arsenal can beat most teams. We saw it last... We beat the Champions League winners home and away last year. Like Arsenal are capable of doing magnificent things on their day. The challenge for the club, as it has been for years and years and years, is to do it over a season. So I would much rather lose 5-0 at home to Leeds in the Cup, have an angry fan base and then come fifth and be close to fourth than to win the Carabao Cup and come eight, personally. But which is going to be a happier fan base at the end in scenario, I don't think in scenario one or two? Well, no, I'm not saying whether it matters okay. overall, but we're talking no, about whether a club needs it. Um, Neither would be okay. Because our fans are morons. You heard <laughs> it here first, Arsenal fans. You, the manager, people wanted the manager sacked after three games. See, Arsene Wenger like, was, why are you was trying sitting to nicely the in the room and now he's leaving. Now he's leaving. He was about to play. I mean, there was a massive queue of people that want to play backgammon with Nigel Pearson. And now Arsene Wenger's leaving. Although I don't think he liked the Arsenal fans either, actually. So maybe uh, you wouldn't mind that. I think pleasing the fans is the wrong way to go about managing mm. a football team, personally. I don't think yeah, no, I, 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 the fans, I agree with so that, I don't but think I it think matters. Is, is that not where a lot of the pressure comes from? There's so, going to be pressure either things. way. No, not the Carabao Cup. Okay. okay. I think there's more so pressure about... on him to get top four or top okay. five, top six, for example, than there is 
for, there's a lot more pressure on him to win at the weekend in the Premier League than there will be on that cup game. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Um, what do we think about the, the position of the Carabao Cup going forward? Um, I mean, we, I had a brief look at the history before we, we came on. It was part of the reason why the, the Cup came into fruition in the first place was um, as sort of a way to facilitate more games for for clubs in the Football League that were knocked out of the FA Cup earlier in the season. Um, and now we're in a position where, you know, Premier League clubs, the, the value of them and their games is so high and their Premier League players are being bombarded in terms of the demand being placed on them to play games. Um, and it seems that you have sort of goes to and fro with top managers like Klopp and Pep um, criticising the overload on the fixture schedule. And it's been talked about before um, that potentially the first thing that would have to change would be potentially the scrapping of the of the Football League Cup, the FL Cup. Um, what would you think on that? Um, personally, I wouldn't want to see it scrapped. I think it's evolved into something where, you know, it's like it is in the name, it's the Football League Cup. So, albeit, you know, typically the one of the big six Premier League teams or a Premier League team goes on to win it, I think its importance is, uh, you know, all throughout the Football League, you've got the smaller clubs that, you know, like to take part in it. I think just on a basis of, you know, it's demanding and, you know, you've got to play all these extra games. I think, as we've seen in the last few years, there are things to be you can do around that. You, you don't have to go and play extra time or, you know, you could, no replays or anything like that. I think it's something that sets us apart from a lot of the other countries in Europe too. And that's something, you know, being from, from England that actually, you know, I'm quite happy to see, I'm quite proud to see that we've got this cup and you will get teams like, you know, West Ham or Southampton, or I think Swansea won it a few years ago. You'll get teams like that, that can, can do some special things with it and create some memories so I think if it was to be, you know, scrapped or abolished, I wouldn't be behind that. It's got so much tradition to it. It's evolved into something, you know, as you say, it was um, something for teams that were knocked out of the FA Cup. Well, now it comes before the FA Cup, you know, um, so mm. I don't know. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to see it scrapped at all. I'm, I wouldn't be in favour of that. I think the pressure is coming from the likes of Klopp and Guardiola who, by the way, have spent millions on their squads anyway for, you know, these sort of competitions to keep their their club, their team in, involved. That, you know, it, it's just a little bit of hypocrisy there. And, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be happy one bit to see it scrapped. I think Klopp and Guardiola are probably somewhat annoyed at it just because it's extra pressure for them. Because they're mm. expected to win another trophy, and they can, they are like, well, we don't want to win this trophy. Well, we want to win the Premier League, which means we don't want to play our first 11s in the cup. But I think one of the things to add to that is, I think it's a lot more accepted, particularly in the Carabao Cup, to not play your best teams if if you if you can't go full strength for whatever reason, 
whether it's injuries, COVID last year, player fitness, or you just don't want to play a full-strength team, I don't think anybody really minds anymore because it's not got that standing tradition of the FA Cup, for example. I mean, as an Arsenal fan... I quite like watching these games every year because it's a chance to see the next generation. It's their first glimpse of first team football and I think we've we've only been close to winning it once in like the last 10 years. But I don't mind losing in it every year after a couple of rounds because we get a couple of rounds to see the future of the club and I think that that's very beneficial and that's very exciting. So I I also don't want to see it gotten rid of. stuff all round um is there anyone you, you think yeah go on is there one I've got one more question on it is there anyone you look at outside of that kind of big five if you will that you look at and go that team can sort of upset somebody or like upset a few teams and make it to a semi-final or the final i guess add leicester within that cause i think that's a bit unfair as well uh, let me have a quick look at the draw. Probably go um, Brighton. Possibly. Brighton start away at Leicester in the next game. Or yeah, even Leeds. They could, do, they could do Leicester. Leeds. I had, interestingly enough, Brentford. Yeah. Because I think if they could get lucky, I think, are they, are they away to Stoke or have they got Stoke at home or someone? Uh, away. away to Stoke. Away to yeah. Stoke. I think if they could get lucky and get a home game against a Liverpool who don't really aren't really up for it, I think they could produce a surprise and then work their way into a semi-final. Maybe. Well, I, I like Brighton as a shout as well. Do like what Graham Potter is doing. What do you say, Marlon? Um, yeah, I'd agree with those. I think Brentford. I mean, Leicester or Brighton, whoever wins that. Um, Leeds as well. I'm not sure about West Ham. I mean, they've just knocked out Man United, but I mean, Man City's second string is still some, you know, would would get into the top four in the Premier League, in my opinion. So, yeah, I, I, I think those are the, the teams. So you're going to be doing the Premier League prediction in a few years' time. And it's going to be, I think, Man City won. They're going to finish first. Then Man City two, I think they'll get second, and then Man United, uh, and then Man City's third team will finish fourth, kind of thing. <laughs> Do you guys want to hear something that you didn't know about Chris Wood? Go on. So things you didn't know about Chris Wood, um, where we talk about things that you don't know about Chris Wood because he's um. I mean, I think we've already talked about that he's better than Ronaldo. Um, we mentioned that he eats cornflakes for breakfast and that he was bullied as a kid for playing uh, for playing football. Um, I did a little bit of research on the, on the internet and I found there was an interview they did with him. Um, you know where you, you get sort of players doing... Um, sort of like going and, and, and getting taking questions from children and things and sometimes, you know, kids that are you know, in a bad state. And so I think there was one with, uh, there's this, they're putting questions like videos from, from people. And there's this boy called Harvey. He's like eight years old or something. And he 
I think it, it was just uh, temporarily in hospital. I don't think it was anything too major, but he was obviously he's obsessed with giraffes and that was kind of relayed to Chris and he wanted to ask Chris what his favourite animal is. Um, and so, yeah, but he, yeah, he's into, uh, Harvey's into giraffes. Um, and so Chris knows that and he kind of wanted to ask Chris what, whether, you know, what's his favourite animal so that, you know, Chris would kind of indulge him and say, giraffe's my favourite animal, Harvey, blah, blah, blah. So uh, Harvey asked, um, you know, asked him what is his favourite animal and, and Chris would said his favourite animal is the human. <laughs> what the hell? So okay, um, that's something you didn't know about Chris Wood's favorite animal, did you? <laughs> and that really happened. So well, that's news to me. Ah, exactly. Um, you should ask him that, Sean. Uh, you know, Chris is full of lots of interesting uh, opinions like that. So I'm sure I can bring you more of those in the future. <laughs> Looking forward to it. <laughs> Did you want to do like a preview of the weekend? I know you mentioned that before, Marlon. Uh, yeah, can do. I mean, how long have we? It's hard to tell how long we've been going for because it's a long been, time. Just go, go. You can do a quick preview. You mentioned you want to do a quick preview, so you don't have to put it all in in a thing to be fair. Okay. Yeah, no, you can just. What do you think? Yeah, so we got some some really exciting games coming up this weekend. We've got the North London derby. The two teams that, you know. part of of the top six but not anymore um you've got the crystal palace brighton derby if you can call it a derby and uh you've got chelsea versus man city perhaps an early claim for the title and brentford versus liverpool as some really spicy games we're looking forward to do you have any thoughts what about a name as the for the palace brighton derby the commuter belt derby that wouldn't be a bad name. Was it? Is it the A25 at the moment? Something that? like that. It's a big A road, and it's also like it's sort of the, Brighton's the edge of the sort of the group of people that come into London. But that's not the most interesting game. The most interesting game is it's got to be Chelsea City for me. What's yeah? I mean, Arsenal, Tottenham, Chelsea City, massive games. Um, I guess the probably the Arsenal and Tottenham one might be bigger for both of those clubs in terms of their momentum um, going forward because perhaps the momentum is a bit more fragile with those two clubs. One on the one started well, one started poorly, and now subsequently one's got a couple of wins in their belt. One's been defeated three nil twice in a row. Um, whereas I think Chelsea and Man City, I think both clubs potentially going to be a bit more and we've seen it in the past with with uh, some of these games that they're both going to be a bit more conservative and willing to potentially get a draw um, rather than to go out of their way to break the other one down um, but what do you guys think about those two games well what would you what would you think if um, if Chelsea win on Saturday lunchtime, what would that have a significant impact on the on the league as it stands, or would you still say, you know, it's still a long way to go? I think you'd still probably put uh, Man City as favourites because you know that they can go on a run um, where they just win and win and win, even when their backs are against the wall. 
Um, whereas I think with Chelsea, it's maybe a bit more fragile. But at the same time, I think it plays into the narrative perfectly of the Chelsea City. Um, and I think it kind of makes the game bigger for City just because they're three points behind already. Um, and they've lost to Chelsea in the Champions League final. Um, and I didn't really go into the season thinking that that Chelsea had a great or a good chance to win the league. I still thought that City and Liverpool would, would dominate. Um, so I think, and you've already started to see that more and more people are sort of referring to Chelsea already as sort of, or Manchester City and Chelsea as the two title teams and then other people as the challengers. Whereas I thought the narrative was going to be that Manchester City and Liverpool are the title teams, Chelsea, Manchester United, the challengers. Um, and I think that would that would cement that and you, it would almost make Chelsea favourites in some people's mind, I think. Whereas Manchester City could easily bring everyone back down to earth and dismantle, um, dismantle Chelsea. Um, although I do think it's less likely at the bridge for that to happen um, because the game's at home for Chelsea. Um, where the pitch is a bit smaller, Chelsea can crowd it out, Man City can't be quite as expressive with their players. Um, so, yeah, but a big game nonetheless. Mm. Adam? Mm. Yes. Mm. Mm. Tasty game. <laughs> Tasty game. Yeah, no, I mean, I think... It, it, for me, if Chelsea win that, they come into the conversation with City and Liverpool. I don't, I don't know what Liverpool have done to drop from people's minds. What was their last game? They what? They beat Palace or something, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know what Liverpool have done to sort of drop out of people's minds at the moment, or even before the season. Um, but I think if Chelsea win that, to go six points clear of City. I think is a fairly big thing. It's a, it's, a, it's a nice, it's a nice gap. I don't think the games matters necessarily because I, I think, I mean, if, if anything, I think it counts against them because what we've seen in the past, I mean, the, what what springs to my mind with Chelsea is you saw them under Conte come to the Emirates and they got dismantled, changed to a back three and set the record for wins in a season. Because it happened so early on that it just propelled them, and I think if any if anything it could propel City, for example. Because as Joe said, City can win 19 games in a row, and no one would be surprised. They could go and just wipe everyone in the second half of the season. But I think I mean a six point gap would be pretty big, especially when you think Chelsea have played most of the top teams already now because they had a hard run to start. And it would then be a case of if they can go and win their like next 10 games, which they're perfectly capable of doing with the fixtures they have, that would really stamp a mark down. I think to move over then to the Derby, um, North London, not A25. <laughs> um, I thought it was interesting, the momentum point, because I don't think the game has much bearing on Tottenham's momentum. Maybe in the season, but as a club, I don't think it does. Because I 
my view of Tottenham from what I have seen at the start of Nuno's era is that they are on a downward spiral that I don't think they're going to recover from for about five for at least five years I think they are on their way firmly out of the top six or eight because I, I don't think I've seen a good performance from Nuno in five six games so far and then That's you think their, their squad is only going to get worse so do you think that Nuno could turn it round within the season though you say that there's a, a downward spiral that could affect them for the next five or six years and I and I, I could definitely see that and especially because you say the squad's not going to get any better, it's probably going to get worse. But the squad is good right now in terms of player to player. Um, could he, you know, turn it around or someone else turn it around with a signing or two in January and with, with decent play and sort of try and cling on to that top six position? Is there a possibility that they, they could finish fifth or sixth? Yes. That won't help them right because the difference I see between Tottenham and Arsenal is that Arsenal have their best years ahead of them they will get better and better and better Tottenham are going to go the other way coming fifth or sixth doesn't get you Champions League money which is what is required to buy the players and progress your club you've seen this Italian guy Paratici come in and not really do a lot in the window or not do a lot that looks like it's going to work out so far in the window, which doesn't bode well. Whereas you've seen Arsenal buy a bunch of Europe's young prospects who will get better. So it's that kind of, I don't think. Arsenal haven't been in the Champions League though for a while. No, No. And they're sort of no longer a top four team in that sense. No, um, but I think there's more hope there that yeah. Arsenal can get better, whereas Tottenham, I mean, Arsenal could fall out of this race, as they arguably already have. I think Tottenham are on their way to that because their squads, like I said, their squads going to get worse. And I think I guess it's just them winning this game. positions in a way that, yeah. that Arsenal yeah. sort of slowly spiralled out of the top four and then have had a few seasons to put it back together and a, few, a couple of different managers. Um, albeit they've picked up some trophies in that time as well. Um, whereas that's the difference that Tottenham are starting in a position where they haven't won a trophy for 13 years and they're, they sort of, you know, are clawing to try and finish in the top six every year as it is. Um, and obviously there's a difference between, you know, dropping out of the top four and then trying to come back versus dropping out of that top six to eight and trying to come back. There's this, yeah. the, the difference in the quality of a squad is much more. Um, but, but what what is clear for me personally is that Arsenal are well in their rebuild. We we're a good way to making our team. Tottenham for me need to go through a rebuild, and by signing Nuno to try and get them into the top four again quickly, they have foregone that process. Do you wonder whether Daniel Levy's so stubborn that he won't be able to realise that? Because, for example, if he had realised that, then maybe he would have gone for a more progressive manager in terms of a younger, brighter manager that he could do a rebuild with and would have used the Kane money to do that. Because I he, think his you know, main goal was to keep Kane, which is why he's brought in somebody, he's brought in the best current quality he could get. But that's the whole thing with that whole squad. 
I don't see Nuno getting better as a manager. No. But There's a lack of foresight in a way, a lack of sort of wanting to, to long-term um, the team. But relating that back to like the actual result of the game, as I say, if Tottenham, I don't think it changes a lot of Tottenham's momentum because Tottenham aren't going to make top four regardless and that's what they need to change the momentum of their football club. Arsenal getting top four, uh, Arsenal um, winning the game I think has more bearing on momentum for me because it it sort of reaffirms the team we've seen the last two games, which is Arsenal, not what we saw the first three games, which wasn't Arsenal. And I think and it affirms that because you can come through those two games against Burnley and, and Norwich without being that Arsenal, um, whereas yeah. all eyes will be watching to see whether there is um, that team that's going to get better on yeah. display at the Emirates on Sunday. I think the only, well, my, my biggest concern going into that game, or I have two concerns going into that game. Number one is the availability of Granit Xhaka returning from suspension. Because I think if he plays over Party or Lukonga, that is a mistake. Especially given that he's going to be fighting for his place and with a point to prove, which could lead him to be reckless. Alan. Especially given it's a derby and he likes to get involved with this stuff, with with the pushing and stuff. And the other thing is obviously Craig Pawson refereeing, who infamously sent off David Louise for running in a straight line Craig last Pawson. season. Craig Pawson's one of my friends. Um, I'm Peter Walton. So I think that is quite a big concern. Um, it should be a good game. What do, what do you think about the games, Marlon? Um, if I was looking, at, well, looking at it on paper, I think Tottenham have the better squad, the better team. Ha! I agree. <laughs> I agree uh, with you in terms of. Arsenal are already into their rebuild and Tottenham aren't and it, I can definitely see you know in the next season or two Tottenham coming around to this rebuild and realising that that's something it's, it's, it's a necessity and actually you know what Levy's trying to do at the moment in terms of um, instant gratification isn't going to work they might win the Carabao Cup but you know I don't see them getting huh. into the top four um, but yeah, I think. I mean, do you want a prediction? Or, I mean, if I was to predict it, I think I'd probably, probably say you're not gonna like it. I'd probably say two-one Spurs. Oh, it's with the Craig Pawson effect, isn't it? <laughs> That's what gives it's Craig it Pawson hypnotised Marlon. I think at, I think Arsenal are a better team than Tottenham currently. And being that it's at the Emirates, I would be upset if we didn't. I'd be upset if we didn't win. I would take a draw. If a Tottenham win happened, I would be distraught. The issue is there are factors there to allow a Tottenham win to happen, like Craig Pawson refereeing. It's interesting. Well, I think, that, um, yeah. Sorry, just uh, quickly. It's interesting that uh, Nuno was like their their third or fourth choice manager, and I think maybe you know Levy felt a bit of pressure, as we were saying earlier, from the fans to you know have a have, appoint a manager in in someone that will be looking for instant gratification, and maybe the fans they didn't want a rebuild, 
They wanted to keep Kane. Maybe they were deluded. Should we just <laughs> should we finish on Tottenham fans are deluded and just oh, not, may, not maybe they are deluded. Wonderful. They probably are oh. deluded. I think I think That's the key harsh. to I think <laughs> the, the key to the big fixtures this weekend has oh, been put fixtures. by Sean Dyche. It seems they're now working on a counter-attack basis. Well, if you break that up, how quickly can you counter the counter and then counter their counter to counter the counter? And that's the key. God, that guy's so clever. I couldn't follow it, like, after the first two words. Were you counting the counters? I was trying to count the counters, and I think... How many counters were on the table? One counter, two counter. There's a few counters there. At least three counters. Um, Quite right. It's like an insane heist movie where Sean Dyche is uh, like a quintuple agent. He double crosses the double crosser who then who then double crosses and then you double cross the double crosser and then the double crosser double crosses the double crosser who double crossed the double crosser and then there's only one yeah that's a good movie Sean Dyche starring alongside Tom Cruise well to wrap things up all I can say about that podcast well it's better than the last one (laughs) (laughs) oh